Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Gurman. We're here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And guys, we have a big show today because joining us a little bit later on will be John Batiste. His latest album, We Are, is out now. He's, of course, the band leader on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He's a Golden Globe winner and has been nominated for an Oscar for his work on the soundtrack to the movie Soul. So it's a very exciting conversation. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Me and Max sat down uh, with him and did it over Zoom, as you do. But we'll get to him in a little bit. Guys, what's going on? Well, I want Monday to, morning. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Shane. No, the, you were on a good thing with the Monday morning. Well, it's Monday morning. You know, uh, that's all I got. Go ahead, Shane. All right. So it's Monday morning and Mike has shaved his mustache and we we were trying to have a pre uh, pre talk banter because uh, Max always shows up late to these meetings. Like he's he's I guess you're always on time and Mike and I are always five minutes early. But uh, yes, I prefer that. Thank you. Mike and I got talking about his mustache, how it's no longer there. And he was like, oh, you've noticed. Finally, someone's noticed kind of thing. And I was like, oh, Mike, are you feeling unnoticed? And he was like, I'm going to save it for the pod. So now I'm very curious. What happened, Mike? Is Danica ignoring well, you? <laughs> <laughs> we, well, it was the first thing you said. You go, oh, you, you shaved your mustache. And I was like, oh, you noticed. And and funnily enough, you know, keeping with the theme of the Champagne Boys, I was out with Winona. We were doing a walk uh, down by this park near our place, and we happened to run into our all of our good friends, Sean Dawson, and he was with his kid, Seb. It was actually super random. I didn't know they were there. Uh, so we said hi. Uh, and Sean, the first thing he said was, oh, you shaved. And I was like, oh, thanks. And the reason I said that is because over the course of like, like since New Year or whatever, I had I'd like had this gnarly beard. And then I kind of got rid of it, but I kept like, you know, the Shane-esque mustache. And because Winona liked it. And then randomly, like the other morning, I was just like, you know what? I, like, it's time to go back to old school Mike. So I shaved it and I kept expecting like Danica to be like, oh, you shaved the mustache or Winona to be like, you shaved the mustache. And then legit, like three days later, nobody noticed. And, and then, <laughs> and Sean noticed. And so I said to Danica, I I go, nobody even noticed I shaved the mustache. She goes, oh my God, you did. And then I started thinking, I'm like, is this like a, a, a normal thing to not like Max, would you have noticed if Shane didn't say anything? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah but i'm i'm famously bad about observing anything really like mm -hmm. i can get into that in a second but go ahead shane what are you gonna say well if i shave my mustache would you notice max yeah i would notice that one because i feel like you fluctuate a lot mike um mm -hmm. i think you are sort of all over the place when it comes to your facial hair but shane you have had that signature mustache for like five years or something yeah, like that's my brand it's very much a part of like your brand yes uh, but Mike, yeah. I think your problem could be, it looks, and tell me if I'm wrong, like you didn't shave to the bone. Oh, I never do like a clean shave. So like I've got stubble. Yeah. So, it, cause you still have a, like a very strong, I'd call it even a six o'clock shadow on the mustache part. <laughs> like that yeah. is a strong shadow, which creates the illusion almost like you still have a mustache. Like it would take a very close friend or considerate person to even notice that. <laughs> <laughs> someone like you, Shane. Someone yes. like you. <laughs> do, do you guys get, get good at, um, are, are you good at remembering like the scene of a room you were just in? Like what color the walls were, what paintings were there? Because this has been a thing in my life where I don't remember literally anything. It, I could go into a house that I visit three times a week and someone could say, what color is the, the wall in the living room? And I go, I have absolutely no clue. Yesterday, um, I just moved into a new place and the neighbor, a friendly like mom neighbor walked by with her kids. She's like, hey, how do you like the your aluminum? Is there, how do you like the fencing on your patio? 
like on, on your front porch, I should say, the front porch fence. And I was like, I don't know. Why? <laughs> she goes, well, we're, we're thinking about redoing our, our front porch, and I really like the fence around your porch. Is that aluminum? I'm like, I, you have thought about this about 10 times more than I've thought about this because I've thought about this zero minutes. So it's like there are so many things that people are just observing all the time that go right over my head. Mike, can you observe? Are you good at remembering stuff? Yeah, I'm definitely like good at like remembering like scenes and like colors. If you're like, oh, like what color was Max's couch? It's like, oh, the couch when, you know, at the place in Hamilton was blue. You know, like I can see that wow, like, a, wow. like a movie. Um, I So I, I can see that, but one thing that does happen to me is like when you talk about, you know, your, your railing or whatever on your front porch, it's like, I'll notice that railing, something. Not fence. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll notice something, right? Like very vividly the first time, but then after I've lived in it, I actually stop seeing it uh, anymore. So then somebody will be like, Oh, like that, I, that thing you did to your deck. And I'll be like, Oh, like you forget about it because you're, you're, you get a certain blindness to something the longer that you live amongst it. But I definitely will notice something like, the first time or, or, you know what I mean? Like, and, and then, like I said, I can, I can remember images and like scenes out of a movie. Another crazy thing that Ash, Ash is like kind of manager, Ash is like rain man. So sometimes I'd be like, Hey Ash, I'm thinking about, uh, there's a photo that I like that was taken and I'll describe generally what it was She's like, Oh, that was Thanksgiving weekend. I was like, how the fuck do you know that? Like, she's so good mm, at recalling where, a photo was taken like and she's like oh that was uh the night before uh the 1975 bud state show we were we were walking <laughs> to get ice cream you actually got burnt marshmallow i'm like what the fuck wow. it's crazy yeah she, she's rain man it's crazy. everyone what about you shaney oh what about me yeah uh, i am really good at recognizing voices in animated cartoons <laughs> so if someone's talking about like oh that's justin long that's this person this person this person and i'll name everyone and alex will be like how do you know that and i'm like i don't know it just like pops in my mind i'm good at faces like uh it's very hard for me to forget a face i do not know characters names in movies though ever i have trouble following plots of films that are even remotely complicated and street names i can never remember a street or know where i am so that's very hard and um yeah, I, I don't know exactly why this is, but it's very frustrating in, to read a book. Like, I just started a book club, and I'm trying to consciously know the characters' are, names. Are we, are we talking about the book club that we're all part of? Yeah. <laughs> is Mike part of it? I am in it, yes. Oh, okay. uh, but I haven't really contributed yet. I The book is impossible to get on Amazon. Mm, so my go, my plan copy. is, you, you honestly, you can't get this fucking book I did, in I got the right last now. copy. You, yeah. So when I was like looking for it, I couldn't find it. So basically I reached out to Sean and Jules and I said, if you guys like get this done with like a week to go, I'm like, can I just borrow a little book off on it? Cause I can, I can, I can knock it off really, really quick if I have like a deadline and I'm mm -hmm. forced to. So I'm basically doing the classic leave it until the last minute. That's why I kind of got freaked out when Max said, mm. Hey, do you want to just do a zoom on Monday about the first hundred pages? And I was like, ah, I was planning to kind of do it all Wait, at once. What? Why, why are you, you're pre zooming the, the book? He no, wants no, no, to. Go, want, he wants to go by section. So, so that's how some book clubs. Yeah, because I have such a bad memory. Like I forget what happens in the first hundred okay. pages. So I was like, oh, maybe we talk about the first hundred pages. But no, but I'm, I'm into. Uh, but we never established what the what the how that's going to work because mm -hmm. some book clubs do that. They go, everyone read to hundred, then we'll do this, then read to mm. two hundred, or you go, let's all read it and then get together and talk about it. Nobody's established what it looks like yet. Got the book. There, yeah, there it is. The it. lush life Just by, uh, by yes. Richard. What's his last name? Uh, Price. 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 Who who yeah. suggested this book? By the way, uh, I did actually. Was, this was a Max. Have record. you already read yeah, it? Yeah, 
Uh, no, um, Book Club Maddie, the, the originator of book clubs, he suggests, he lent me the book. And it's the, the guy who co-wrote The Wire. He also wrote that the HBO series, The Night Of. I think like in the New York City crime drama genre, he is like considered the best of the best. And it's a very... So it's a good good detective. Well, do you reading. notice anything little weird about my book? Like, do the pages look messed up at all? Did you spill like a drink on it? No, what happened is, so I, w- I was trying to really concentrate on this book. I'm like, I'm going to know all the names. I'm going to know all the characters because I get very confused easily. And detect- yeah, a lot of characters. detective stuff and police. It's I have to reread sometimes the same sentence 10 times in a row. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. So I'm uh, I'm in the bath because I'm like, I, I have to be in the bath, be in a spot where there's no escape. I have to just concentrate. And then I start reading. I'm on page one. You know, page one is taking me a long time. I'm just like rereading. <laughs> and then I all of a sudden I wake up and the boat, the book, <laughs> the book is floating in the tub. <laughs> and then uh, then I was like, OK, I'm too tired. My brain's not feeling good so I, I need to find the right time to read but i have gotten 10 pages in but we can zoom okay. about the first 10 what's what's that guy's name lugo uh, is it lugo i don't know i forgot see, <laughs> see? it's tough for anyone see this is why this is why i haven't i literally on, on the, the chain like or whatever the face the message group that we have i have not contributed one thing because a part of me is like if we get to like april 28th and I still haven't read it. I can, because I haven't contributed, I can probably just not show up and no one will think that I failed or that I didn't contribute, like that I wasn't <laughs> oh, a part of it. Mike, I don't have to you feel the read guilt. books though. You're going to be the star of this thing and you have great retention and uh, y- like you're really good at expressing uh, how you feel about things. I'm you only worried I about think, me. I, um, I've had a, um, a working theory here about books in general. I think uh, it's the reason why it's hard to finish any book is it's hard to get through the first like 50 pages before you know who the characters are and you and you care yes. about them. You need to get for the first in. 50 pages, 100 pages, you're like, none of these people really mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. I think there should be some program where it's just like, hey, you go into the book. These are you're not going to give away the whole story or everything about the character. But here is why these people matter. And here's like a little cheat sheet, like a little one sheet. Like here's Ernesto. This is what he is about. This is so and so. I know I chose that. Ernesto is my the guy I played basketball with. The other day. Oh, okay. oh, I like. I just like the idea that Max is thinking about writing a novel and Ernesto is his protagonist. <laughs> yeah, I think that could be helpful though, because I think you know. You know what it's shame. like. What you're kind of describing is it's like it's like it's like neighborhood gossip. It's like it's like if something was going on like at the house down the street, you would want someone to be like, okay, that's the brother, and he doesn't get along. He has with a job sister. at Google, but the yes. thing is, yeah. <laughs> and and the, and the dad and the mom are divorced, but the dad is he doesn't want to pay any like uh, child support. And you're like, huh? Now you're invested in the now book because in. now you you have a rough structure of who the major players are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah that that would be good. Maybe maybe we could get uh, for anybody who's struggling with the book, we could do a little cheat sheet with uh, with who matters. How far why. are you, Max? So Shane's at ten. I'm like 100. And, actually, like 140 pages in. Maybe. Yeah. You feeling it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. When did yeah. you start um, reading this book? Uh, you know what though? Full disclosure, I suggested the book because I was already like fifty pages in. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't even know who Lugo is, though. No, I don't. I told you I can't keep track of the names. Um, but yeah, uh, guys, uh, a couple other things I want to talk about. Let's talk about them. I, I sent you some some tweets, some screen grabs of tweets. Oh, yes. I kind of went off on Twitter. Um, the other day, bold. Max is becoming move. a polarizing vocal member of the Twitter community. Yeah. And both of the things that I was responding to on Twitter got deleted. So on who, April you? 10th, 
<laughs> no, by the original tweet. The original tweet got deleted because I think of all the feedback that my corresponding tweet uh, elicited. So the first one was from the city of Toronto. And it was like, hey, everybody, no, it's a nice day today. But just FYI, if you plan on going to a park and you have beer or wine, it's a $300 ticket. It was a video tweet. They said it like that. <laughs> that's how he read it in his oh mind. God. That's how the that's how the city of Toronto speaks in Max's. Uh... Yeah, uh, and I was and I responded. How about this? Let everyone enjoy this sunny day, and if someone gets too drunk and annoying, we'll let you know. And wow. that got a lot. That got thirty six retweets on my end. Nice um, work. I, I just I I think you're coming from the right place. We're 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 in we're in bad times right now. People are not feeling good. For anyone outside of Ontario, we've gone into a, another major lockdown. We're in like a third wave, uh, and so. People are also like deeply upset with sort of the government as well. So for the city of Toronto to be like tisk tisking about people wanting to have a beer in a park in an open space on a nice day is tone deaf at best. But then I felt a little bad because I was like, oh, but you know what? Maybe this variant and people are getting it outside. I know a guy who claims to have got it like while walking his dog and talking to somebody. Then I'm like, oh, maybe I am the problem. Shane, mm-hmm. you, you're very cautious. I feel like you're good at the middle ground. Should I have tweeted that? See, I'm scared to tweet or say anything. I think it was a very cool move because you have so much power and sway that like even hearing Mike, when he just said that was tone deaf, I was like, ooh, he's going to hear it about that because people are sensitive about even that wording. Mm -hmm. So I'm very safe now with the way I say things and express my um, anger. In case there's a, a, another opinion and then a bunch of people just start DMing me and it's not worth my time. Yeah, no, that, uh, that's true. But I agree with you. Yeah, it's a tough one. So, okay, so wait, the other tr- one. Toronto d- deleted it. They they got scared and deleted but it. They, they deleted it. And Max, is, Max is, is suggesting that it's the power of his voice. I mean, he did you. this one was from Arkells. This is like your mm-hmm. actual Arkells Twitter account, which has how many followers you have on Twitter on Arkells? Mm, like 75,000 maybe. So 75K, you're the city of Toronto's social media manager and you're like, oh shit. It's like the Arkells Voice of Canada is talking to the city of Toronto. (laughs) And Canada trumps Toronto. (laughs) Though I was thinking, I am am, uh, friendly with uh, the city councillor, Joe Cressy, who I think is fucking awesome. Um, And another city councillor here, Brad Bradford, that is his real name. He's actually an Ancaster guy, but he lives in Toronto now. And he's also really smart and I think does a very good job too. So then I then I thought, I was like, oh, do you think they're going to see this tweet and then feel bad that I'm railing against them? But I'm not against them. I'm Maybe just, they saw know. it and Kresge's like, hey, th- we got to fire this uh, Toronto uh, <laughs> social media person. <laughs> That's probably what happened. Imagine the person That's got tough. fired and got depressed, went to the park and got drunk. And, and got a three hundred dollar fine. Because you called one. the cops on them. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, person's nuts. too drunk. <laughs> uh, hold on a second. I need to get to the mic down a little bit. Okay. And the second one was there was a, an article in the Toronto Star, and basically it was an opinion piece that basically said, "Am I being a vaxhole for regretting?" Uh, I guess getting the AstraZeneca shot when I really wanted the Moderna or the Pfizer shot. And when that, I saw it because a lot of people were like, what the fuck is this? So I responded, LOL, can you fuck off? Who needs this article right now? 64 retweets. And everybody was like, yeah, why are we printing this in the Toronto Star? Um, do, you, do you have any sympathy for this writer who says, who says they want 
who, who who's regretting already getting vaccinated because they didn't get the name brand one. I, I think like the tone, this this columnist or opinion columnist trying to like position it like a consumer buyer's remorse sort of angle, like where it's like, I really wanted the Reebok shoes, but I settled for the Nikes. Like, it's just like, this isn't like, it's too flippant when there's so many people that want this vaccine desperately. And it's like, and obviously I think the columnist and the star knew that it would be polarizing and like sort of like conversation sort of provoking and all of that stuff. And so that's probably why they released it, but it's just so, it felt very like elitist in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, it's so strange because my stepdad is refusing to go for that vaccine. Who Brad? Yeah. Really? So it's a thing. Be- it's a real because thing. he, he was yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to get a blood clot, man. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And it's, it's such a thing. Like, I don't want to cause a divide in my family. And my mom's obviously, she's sick right now and vulnerable. So it's like, I'm upset that he's not getting it. And my mom's going to get it, but he thinks he's going to get the blood clot. And it's like, I don't know how to communicate with this. Like, he's not an anti-vaxxer, but he's an vaxxing, I don't know, elitist or something. Like, I don't know what to call these types of people, but it's like, I don't know how to communicate with him that I'm upset without disrupting my family. Uh, I, I I have a, a, um, a tweet that I'm going to send to you right now that will hopefully help your case because I think, you know, appealing to people and getting them to get, get on your side is is a skill in itself. So this is perspective. So it's, it's, a, um, it's a chart here. And so uh, risk of blood clots is the headline. Uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, four cases in a million. That's 0.0004%. To give context, the risk of getting a blood clot on the birth control pill is 500 to 1,200 cases in a million. That's 0.05. So AstraZeneca is a much smaller chance than than every teenage girl, young woman who's on the birth control pill. If you smoke, you have a 0.18%. Uh, that's 1,700 cases in a million. And then the COVID uh, infection itself is a 16.5% chance of getting a blood clot so it's just like hey hey dad or stepdad brad got news for you this vaccine is much smaller chance and if you've ever smoked a fucking cigarette is he a smoker or was he a smoker he used to be used to be uh or birth control look around anybody in your neighborhood who's on birth control they have a much Mm -hmm. higher chance and getting covid is is way 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 worse so well he doesn't believe in birth control either he has many many children so (laughs) 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 but max do you you find like this new like abrasive not playing it so much in the middle road is because of tiktok you've noticed that you've been gaining traction on tiktok by thinking (laughs) differently because i found on tiktok you used to be like normal max but then you started mm-hmm. getting really popular and now you're like calling out weed stores and you're getting hundreds of thousands of views. And now you're like, hey, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Is, is it is that why do you think you're right? I turned into a different person on TikTok. Yeah. You're not you're not wrong. Um, but is that no, is mean, it bleeding over into your Twitter account where you're like, hey, this is how we gain traction with actually giving an opinion? I think that Max, mm-hmm. I think Max has traditionally been like this. There's a oh, real cranky Larry David in Max. Mm. <laughs> but but this is the first time we're seeing it very publicly on mm, social media. That's what I mean, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why the change is, is Shane's question. Okay, well, first of all, I think I've always had a pretty good like ratio of like friendly, wholesome community Max, like 90% of the time with like the odd jab back to show that I have a little bit of edge. Um, 
And but I think weighing in the TikTok waters has been very interesting. So for a little backstory, guys, um, I did a funny little clap back when somebody was like, who are you guys or something? And I was like, oh, I, and then I just went to a clip of us playing in front of a big crowd and people loved that because it was like kind of funny. And generally the comments were just like, this is funny. This is great. And then pe- there's more comments that were like, who the fuck is this guy? Because the thing about TikTok is you're not talking to your fans. You're talking to any random person who's on TikTok if it comes up in their feed. So then Shane was like, yo, let's, um, you should do a thing where you're clearing your trophies out of the way of the camera frame and you're like, oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you. I'm just sorry. I'm Not only that, up. I filmed it. I, I got some it. awards and actually filmed how you should shoot yeah, it. You yeah, you mocked it up. And I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. <laughs> but then, it's it, so I did it and it, was, it ended up being one of our most popular TikToks because it's a very funny clapback. But then the comments are so fucking vicious, Shane. It's just like, it's this corner of the internet where the worst people hang out. And I almost don't want to ever do something like that again because that sort of like, heightened like sort of spotlight by people that actively either don't care about you or want to make fun of you is just i think a little too much for me and they're like oh well they're only big in canada or like oh what the fuck does a juno mean blah 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 and i'm like oh god this is but you got so many it got almost a million views or downloads or whatever and it got so many people loving it like like a very a very loud small contingent of people hated it but a yeah. ton of people loved it. That is true. And people like I, I was getting text messages from from random friends who don't who don't talk very often, who are just sending me this that TikTok going, oh, this is very funny. This is my favorite TikTok of the day. So, so, so maybe you're onto something, Shane. You are good. You're very good at TikTok and these kinds of ideas. No, thank you. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, but answer the question. I missed the answer. Is it yes or no? Why you're being so abrasive on uh, Twitter? (laughs) No, I think, uh, I think everyone's on edge and maybe I'm a little bit too on edge at the moment. Um, and maybe I need to cool down. Maybe I just need to to cool it. (laughs) You sounded like Matthew McConaughey or something. (laughs) Maybe I just need to cool it, man. (laughs) Cool it. Um, yeah. Oh, but I. Okay. Let's let's keep moving. Okay. Seems like you had some good to, there, Max. Yeah. What was going oh, on? Oh no no no! I was just so one of my favorite podcasts, Slate Political Gap Fest, had an author on, uh, Amanda Ripley, and she just put out a book called Con- High Conflict, like how we deal with conflict in our life. And the interview was like it's ten minutes long. It's the latest episode of the Slate Political Gap Fest. It's forty minutes in. I highly recommend everybody listen to it. And I want to see if we can get her on the show because basically she just talks about how we live in a very polarized world, and uh, a big problem uh, with conflict is when there's us versus them, and you see this a lot in the American political system. Um, and then when you have people that are charming politicians or pundits use humiliation to take down the other side. And I just think that this is what social media is. This is what American politics is. And I think she offers some solutions. It's very, I think it's a bit of a self-help book as to how to avoid being in conflict and how to work around, uh, you know, high conflict situations. So I think uh, maybe I'll, I'll reach out. Maybe we can get her on the pod. That'd be cool. That'd be great to have her. I th- well, mm-hmm. actually, you know, you mentioned humiliation. That might be a natural segue to our next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this story um, that popped out to me because I thought it was pretty interesting uh, involving Rachel Bilson uh, and Rami Malek. 
And essentially, the headline was uh, on entertainmentweekly.com, Rachel Bilson says Rami Malek asked her to take down a throwback photo of them. I'm like, this this literally, I guess like I got it in like my Facebook algorithm or something. I don't even know if anyone shared it. So I, I click on this. I'm like, I need to see this story. And she essentially tells this whole story about how they went to high school together and they were like big sort of theater nerds and, and they went to like New York for some like big Broadway show. It was like a school field trip. And there's this photo of them together. And they're both like very young. They're like, you know, grade 12 kids, what you would imagine. And so when he was nominated for the Oscar and ultimately won it for, um, what was that Queen movie called? Bohemian Rhapsody. Thank you. Uh, she posted it. She's like, congrats, you know, I always need, be, whatever she said in the post. And I guess, I guess he DM'd her or reached out to her and basically said, hey, can you take that down? Because uh, maybe he found it embarrassing. Well, he said, I'm They're a very like, private person. That's what he said. I'm a very private person. And he, and he sort of politely asked her to take it down. So she took it down. She ends up sort of sharing this story uh, publicly, um, which obviously like now I need to see the photo. So then like I'm, I'm, it's actually in the body of the article. So then I look at the photo. Anyway, it's just such an interesting story to me because it's like these two people. And if you don't know, Rachel Bilson was the star of the OC. She was one of the four main cast members and she's gone on to be, be in other stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I just thought it was interesting because it's like one, that weird sensitivity that people have, even if you're someone as successful uh, and decorated as Remy Malik, where you don't want this photo from high school to be up, or maybe he's kind of weird about her. I, I have a, I have a theory of something I built, but what did you guys think when you read that story? Well, it's let's face it, Rami's not looking the coolest in that photo. And I think if <laughs> if if he was shirtless, like smoking a cigar with a twelve pack, he'd be like, "Keep that one up." The the DM would say that, but he's known for a guy with a very chiseled jaw. And I think he's always like, like any photo, he's always like, you know, everyone has like their photo pose, like you know, Birchall and Max do a certain thing with when they're in photos. So I think Rami's very proud of his jaw. And in that photo, it's like very, he's got a puffier face. He's younger. He has the baby fat. And I think he was embarrassed of that photo getting out. And ironically, once you make it, it, this becomes public, everyone seeks that photo out. And no one would have ever seen it had he not said anything. Like no one gave a shit. So that's called the Streisand effect. Um, it's basically like this this phenomenon that occurs when you attempt to hide, remove, or censor information. I'm reading this directly right now. Uh, and has the unintended consequence of further publicizing that information. It had to do with like, basically there was like an image of Barbara Streisand's re- uh, like mansion in Malibu, which she attempted to keep the picture off the internet. She didn't want it on the internet, but then that had the effect of basically everybody seeing the picture. So this is actually an exact sort of example of that. Uh, the idea of like trying, what were you gonna say, Maxie? No, but I actually disagree because I understand what the Streisand effect is. What makes this story, I think, particularly salacious is that he, okay, so she posts the thing and I think, and we could all agree, it's a terrible photo of him and mildly embarrassing (laughs) and she knows the kind of guy that he is. He takes himself very seriously. He's building up this like legend of himself in in the minds of Hollywood and then he has this like this sort of like lame photo of him from high school. So So she knows what she's doing is not... It, it's like everybody has a version of that photo. They're like, can you not fucking post that photo? Especially if you're a serious person. But then the reason why it ends up getting out is that she continues to talk about him. She continues to slander him. It's one thing if he privately messaged her and she quietly took it down, then I don't think it would become a news story. How it became a news story is that she goes on Dax Shepard's podcast and Dax clearly doesn't like him either because I just listened to the excerpt of the podcast. And Dax goes, yeah, you know, I met him at a party 
And I got to say, it was one of the strangest conversations I've ever had. He, he, he takes himself, well, he was just saying some crazy things. And you can tell that Dax is like, this guy is a self-important actor and I don't like him. And then she goes, yeah, you know, it's so funny. I posted this thing just from back in high school because it was just like a fun little photo. And then he messaged me and he said, he didn't say, you know, hi, ho, how's it going? Hope you're good. He just said, can you take the photo down? So I was like, okay, I guess I'll take the photo down. Her talking about it on one of the most popular podcasts with a host that it wants to continue to make fun of Rami Malek uh, is the reason why we're talking about it. It's not like it sort of like it happened and a bunch of fans sort of like caught wind of it. It's because she is perpetuating this thing. And I actually think much less of her and Dax in this situation because they know exactly what they're doing. And if you want to say he had it coming because he's a self-serious actor, that's a different conversation. And we can talk about that, which I also want to talk about but i but i think it only is being talked about right now is because she went on the most popular podcast and continued to talk well about i it. think she's just so hurt because she had a friend who she was close with when they were in <laughs> she's not hurt she's bored she's fucking bored is what it is well maybe she was no totally and she says that they were in the same like theater group and in the photo he's very happy you know he's got his arm around her they seem very happy old together, acquaintances like- if, if you if you put something up of an old acquaintance and just to say like hey i actually knew lebron james in high school and we hung out and here's us sitting together in the cafeteria if lebron just says yo take that down and doesn't even have any niceties i'd be like fuck this i'm going on every podcast and talking about this <laughs> No, but what we don't know, though, is there's been over 20 years since that photo. She became very famous way before him. So it's like we don't know what happened in those 20 years. Like like they get out of high school. They're both these actor people. She gets on the biggest show sort of in in, in North America on the OC. She becomes very famous at like 20 years old or whatever. We don't know if he's like at that point like, hey, Rachel, best. You know, like who knows if she blew him off in those very famous years. And then it took him another like 15 to build out, which ended up becoming an A-list career, winning an Oscar, all this stuff. And maybe his thing is like, oh, okay. So now 20 years, like now, now we're posting the photo and showing everybody that we're best friends. Because like, if you're her at this point, it's a lot cooler to be associated with Remy Malik than yeah. it is for him to be oh, associated so with her. you think and, he's like, where was that when I was a struggling actor and you were on the OC? That's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. We, I don't, yeah. we don't know. That's a lot of speculation. So if... Okay, so Rachel Bilson, let's just say she's at the height of her success in OC. Yeah. Rami just got in such great shape. He's looking chiseled. His jawline could like, (laughs) I don't know, cut diamonds or whatever. Yeah. She puts up the photo. Do you think he's like, yes, she put up a photo of me. This is awesome. Even though he's not looking particularly good because at that moment he's looking for exposure. He's probably excited to be associated with a really famous TV star. At that mm-hmm. moment in time, if Instagram existed in 2003. And then if he does way. DM her, let's say he doesn't like it, he DMs her. She would just say, okay, take it down. And it wouldn't be noteworthy enough to even talk about on Dax's thing. She wouldn't right. be like, oh, there's this weird theater guy who asked me to remove a th- photo. <laughs> exactly. And it would never become a story. So this is all just fame based. Maybe during that time too, he's like, hey, Rachel, you know, want to get together for a coffee? Is there any guest spots in the OC? Can you get me an audition? We don't know. And maybe she doesn't respond over those years. I know this is a big stretch, but uh, it could just be as simple as he's very sensitive and takes himself very self-important. But I'm saying there's also like that many years in between where sometimes it's like, now it's like, oh, now she's posting the photo with the Oscar nomination. You know what I mean? Where was that photo for Night at the Museum when he was, you know, the seventh name on the call sheet? Yeah. Do you guys know anybody uh, in your personal life that uh, is as committed to sort of like the brand building 
or like legend of themselves uh, in a way that Rami Malik is. Because I mean, like we're all doing our some version of this, <laughs> I right? Can like, see shades like, already shades laughing. No, no, no. And by, by the way, like obviously, you could be like the guy I'm talking to right now, the dude in the no, article. No, no, no. Uh, I wasn't gonna say no. That. Or, or any of our. But but it's just like there is. But I find somebody who's really serious about themselves to be a very interesting and unique person when it comes to this kind of thing because he stands out among hollywood actors as a person if you hear him in interviews you're like this guy is the most intense dude ever like no other actors talk like he does i feel like uh, if you if you see him doing press yeah um and, and yeah this this idea of like sort of like legend building he's like you know when i was planning to to be freddy i, I went to to uh, the story he told, he's like, uh, so I was living in London. I, I flew out six months before and I, and I walked around with a half microphone stand around the streets of London just so I was... Ch- I was like, all right, settle the fuck down. Hold on. You're walking around London with a half microphone stand every fucking day? Really? Okay. Cool. Tweet it, man. Tweet I- it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Remy. Remy deletes his Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm private, uh, but do you, do you guys know anybody who comes to mind? Yes, of course. <laughs> who do you think max not the nut not whoosh, oh that's get, what that's okay. of course what he was e- gonna e- say like every post it's like <laughs> 10 years ago today i spun my first album at absinthe that led to me hosting wwe events for the next three years then i did that like you know it's just everything is about this legendary history and one domino started the next and and i'm not i'm not critiquing it i'm just saying you posed the question and i'm saying yes i definitely sure. know someone who's building a legend a, a legend he's very deserved to have <laughs> but, but am i wrong guys like no, i don't no, want no, to be the only one that. getting in trouble totally here. no 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 and also the nut, the nut just had a birthday so we'll say happy birthday he's been on this pod plenty uh um, but absolutely i think that well okay so two things so with with rami malik or any sort of like actor or artist or someone in, in the arts that takes themselves very seriously like clearly like I think the every person would prefer someone like, you know, you listen to George Clooney on a podcast and he's very decorated and you go, oh, he seems like a guy you'd want to have like a beer with. And then you listen to like maybe like Rami Malek or like Daniel Day-Lewis or like, you know, I, we could probably go down a list of like actors that maybe even like mm-hmm. a Tom Hiddleston or these. And I'm like two things. I'm like, one, are they consciously building a legacy or like a Jared Leto seems to take himself very mm, seriously so in process serious. and all that stuff. And, and, you know, everyone kind of teases him about it, but I'm always interested because when we talk about building a legend, we act like they're consciously sort of like putting forth like a mysterious sort of front or like a very serious thing. What if they're just like that? Like we all know weird, like odd people in the arts, like odd ducks that have nothing to gain. They're not really trying to like, it's not like they're doing press. They're just odd. Like they're just odd in conversations in the corner of a bar, in email exchanges. That's just who they, so I wonder how much of it's like an affectation by, by Rami, which is kind of what the insinuation was and how much is just who he is. Okay, I I recognize what you're saying. The only caveat here is because I know lots of odd, quirky people. That's fine. I think odd, quirky people can be some of the most interesting people. The difference is, is that Rami and Jared Leto and these guys, it's based in vanity as well. It's not just like, oh, I'm just, it's like, no, no, no. I need to be the most beautiful person. I want to be in People Magazine at the end of the year as one of the most beautiful people. I also want to be talked about and I want to be celebrated. So that that is the difference between just being like an odd, quirky, socially strange person. And why is there a the, problem with that, Max? No, it's not a problem no. with that. I'm just saying that it's, that's, you seem it's, angry, it's, it's interesting. No, no, no. 
No, no, I'm just saying that I I always appreciate when you when there's a guy when you hear a person like Clooney uh, or Matthew McConaughey or any of these guys uh, that you know are just naturally talented, naturally handsome, but don't take themselves as seriously. I mean, even Tom Hanks, you know, it's like these guys are just seem like a good hang and then you're like okay Matthew McConaughey can seem that way but he's also very self-indulgent and everything like I I would say he's building like he just wrote a a memoir about himself which is building a a big legend and some of his interviews about the book are are borderline unlistenable and I don't know I feel (laughs) I feel like some people who are presenting this humble approach they're in some ways even more vain than mm, people sure, who are more sure, honest sure. about. Because you know you get a lot of credit when you, it's like the Larry David thing, like saying you're uh, making a donation, but it, making it anonymous. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. that gets found <laughs> out that you made the anonymous donation and yeah, you get more credit. Anonymous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would you guys, speaking of memoir, would you guys ever write a memoir? I mean, obviously, Max, there would be a lot of interest in a memoir from you. You're in a very, very successful lot, but yeah. band. Uh but Shaney, like, would you ever write a memoir? I'm a very private person, Mike. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maxie, would you write a memoir? No, let Shane finish. Would you? Would Shane write a memoir? I just don't like. I can barely read a memoir. You know, it, it would be hard for <laughs> this. The, the laptop would just be floating in the bathtub. It, it would be hard for me to to write one. Yeah, and I'd be embarrassed. You know, so many things in my life are embarrassing. No, but Shane, I think you're actually more equipped to write a memoir uh, versus uh, Mike or I, because you did a documentary in Teenager about your mom. Like, sensitive you, issues. You've sensitive issues. You have past, a, a yeah. family tree podcast. You're talking about really raw stuff where for me, like there's, a, there's like, you know, stuff in my life that I wouldn't want to talk about, like related to I don't know, my family or friends or just thoughts I have that, that I, I'm probably a little more private. I like to put some of my thoughts in music, but that's probably... Mm-hmm. You can hide them easier within those beautiful songs. There you go. Yeah, your poetry. But (laughs) as I get older, I find I get more ashamed of myself. So Mm. it's just because I've done something in the past doesn't necessarily mean I'll do it in the future and want to like talk about the things I've talked about in the past. You know what I mean? I'm I'm becoming more sheltered as I get older. Yeah, I think also like when you have children, like there becomes sort of like undefinable stakes that don't necessarily that didn't exist before like because you go whatever i leave behind whether it's you know 500 episodes of a podcast or an album or whatever you leave behind your kid's inevitably going to you know (laughs) if all things go well and your kid is into you and you know respects you they're going to listen and consume that stuff to maybe know who you were especially if you're gone down the road um and then so like i tend to start thinking about things through that lens which was never a consideration before whenever you'd sort of like put stuff out it's like my only consideration before was will i be proud of it or will i be embarrassed about it you know whenever we do music videos or something like that i'd be like okay when like 50 year old mike looks back am i gonna think oh that was cool or am i gonna go oh that was really embarrassing and that would usually guide my decision making for good better or worse because i think there were certain chances that i didn't take and stuff because i thought i might be embarrassed now and i don't know shane if you feel this way do you ever think about like oh the stuff we put out on the family tree or whatever like one day lucy or betty are going to be in their 20s or their 30s and they might go back and listen to all this or does that is that not a consideration for the things you create Hmm, not really i'm not worried about that i would never want to do anything to embarrass them but luckily i'm always in their ear and I would be able to say, hey, that's who I was then. This is who I am now. I'm more worried about the people who might not see who I am now and think I'm what I was then still to this day. Because every year there's so much evolution, even like things I would say and do at the beginning of this pandemic, like over the whole like 
course of this time, so many newsworthy and noteworthy things have happened, which have shaped the way I think and speak and reveal things to the world that I would probably be so ashamed to go back and listen to a pod I did uh, 13 months ago. Because just certain words are so key and important that I'm even going back and like editing, re-editing old pods and just removing key words out. That's fascinating. And just to sort of wrap this this thought uh, line, Maxi, when you create, do you always create with the with a focus on the present, or are you thinking, oh, how will this look in five years, or is that never a consideration when you're creating? Yeah, no, I only in the moment because usually I I don't like a lot of the stuff I I did like two weeks ago. And, and you know, I've been accused of having the memory of a goldfish, which I think has actually served me really well because if I spent too much time thinking about decisions I made two weeks ago, two years ago, seven years ago, I'd be like, oh God, really? Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Anytime I find myself thinking about the past, I'm always like, oh God, that was stupid. So I just intentionally do not think about anything I've really done and just want to keep moving forward, which I think serves me well for making my art, to be honest. Well, I think that's uh, a natural segue to the idea of creating and making a record. And our featured guest today has a record out called We Are uh, Max. We sat down with John Baptiste. What were your thoughts? Oh. Set it up for the, for the listeners, man. You know, I don't know if you guys have this uh, person in your life, but or maybe, maybe this could be a few people where you're like, oh, he, this person is just the better version of me. I just wish <laughs> I had everything this guy has. And just his um his skill his his like good looks his charisma his work schedule um and so he he became he's from uh he talks about it he's from a very musical family in new orleans i love new orleans he's like uh he went to juilliard for jazz uh, his dad's musician. He was recruited to be the band leader with Stephen Colbert in the Late Show as like a twenty-something, and even making the song that we talk about, it was just like you, he had producers working with him as he was sort of going in and out of the room, back and forth to set. There he is, and he looked ten times fucking cooler in our interview. By the way, uh, yeah, he was anyway. like at his place in Brooklyn. It was over Zoom. We ended up actually opening the conversation, Shaney, with all basketball talk. He's my age too. And so we had the same basketball references. Anyway, uh, but he couldn't be more likable. So it's not even like a jealousy thing. It's just like, oh God, this guy's got to figure it out. It's, um, so anyway, someone who aspired to. Do you guys have anybody like that in your in your life that you're like, oh, this guy, I'd love to have this guy's life. Not Obviously, we're all very blessed, lucky. I, I think we're all in the top percentile of like good fortune. But like, is there anybody who you're like, oh, that could, that would be fun. That would be cool. Yeah, Nathan Fielder. I think about it all the time. Yeah, it'd be like <laughs> like someone like Dan Levy. Like not not mm. the acting part, but like to create a show and basically mm. be financially secure. Like when you think about, you know, That's living in one. some, like those are the ones where you go, oh man, like if, you, if I could hit a home run creating a show, that's kind of the dream. Mm-hmm. I'm very jealous of yeah. Dan Levy. That was a good pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's doing amazing things. Um, but yeah, so, uh, John Batiste, we talk about uh, his Oscar nomination. Uh, we talk about, he won a Golden Globe, obviously his work with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross on the soundtrack, uh, for soul. Uh, we get into lots of stuff, uh, and he's a very interesting guy and it was awesome to spend some time with him. You guys want to get to John Batiste? Yes, please. Oh yeah, Mike. How you doing? All right. How you feeling? I can't complain. Can't complain. How's it going, Max over here? Hey, John. Yeah, Max. What's what's up? 
Ah, it's you know what? It's beautiful day up here in Canada around Toronto. So Ooh. we can't. It's been a while. It's been a while. So we can't. We, we are not. We're, we're as soon as we're done this, we're going outside. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna play some basketball. That, I just came from playing basketball. Actually, <laughs> it's been oh, a nice man. day in the park. Who your team? The Raptors. Oh, the Raptors. Come on. Come on, man. What what era? What era? Vince Carter. Uh, John, my first email address was Vince underscore Kerman at hotmail.com. <laughs> Bro, half man, half amazing, man. You know, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> are you a New Orleans Pelicans guy or are you a New York dude now? So here's the thing. I feel really bad about being a Brooklyn Nets fan oh. because I was a Brooklyn Nets fan when I first moved there before they got this super team mm. and I'm one who is really vehemently against super teams, man. Okay. Like I'm, when I first started to watch basketball, you got to realize you're talking about the era of Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and the Chicago bulls, David Robinson, oh. Tim Duncan. Are, are you, are you born in 86? Yeah, born John? 86. Yep. See, me too. So we would have been watching all, all so the you'd same be like stuff. 10 years old when they're on that second three peat 96 to yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And and I cannot imagine Michael Jordan saying, "Okay, yo, yo, let's just come on, let's get Barkley on the team, yeah. <laughs> let's let's get David Robinson, <laughs> let's get Hakeem Olajuwon, and let's just go to town, Scotty. Let's do it." Who are the um the big? I'm trying to think of the the best NBA dudes from New Orleans. Like who who's from Louisiana that that made? I like um, I'm trying to think of the guys from the South. Well, Eric Shaq, Shaq was Shaq cute. LSU. Carl yeah. Malone. You're talking about Carl Malone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kerry Kittles. Um, oh, yeah. Kerry Kittles, New Jersey Nets. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, we got a lot of ballers that came out. But the thing is, our teams, we've had trouble constructing the teams. That's why I'm really looking forward to what Zion is going to do, man. You see, he's got – he tied Shaq with the most 25 – 20 plus 50% tile – shots made games and basically has become i mean he's 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 got injured but he's become one of these forces out here man i hope he continues to grow he's exciting he's exciting so before we get you know to music and and what you're doing i do have to know because you mentioned michael jordan michael jordan or lebron it's a pretty hot debate (laughs) i mean that's easy man at this point it's got to be michael jordan because think about it like this lebron is still not done yet we can't really say LeBron is greater than Michael Jordan and LeBron is still playing seasons. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the problem with the debate of LeBron and Michael Jordan. It completely leaves out Kareem, which to me is ridiculous. When you talk about the GOAT and you don't talk about Kareem, or uh, Bill Russell even, but Kareem, I mean, he still scored the most points yeah. of anybody ever, has just as many titles. I mean, <laughs> uh, Mike, did I ever tell you? So my dad is, is uh, I'm born and raised in Toronto, but my dad's from New York, Manhattan. And yeah. when he was in high school, he covered Lou Alcender for, Lou yeah, for the, like the, the high school newspaper. And so he got to see Kareem play back when he was a teenager. So the history of NYC hoops is, you know, starts there almost. Yeah, it's, it really does, man. Kareem is, Kareem makes it look easy. The same way that LeBron does. LeBron, mm-hmm. I would say, is maybe, I, I, I could say that he's probably the greatest basketball player 
to ever play. Mm-hmm. I can't say that he the GOAT yet while he's still playing. And I'm a huge LeBron fan. Yeah. I got to go with MJ. Okay. This is just going to be a basketball podcast, uh, John. That's normally what we listen to most of the time. It's just basketball podcasts. <laughs> so we could just stay here if you want, or we could talk about your album. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> I'm, I'm down, man. I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Mikey. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to start, you know, you read the story of this record and sort of writing it in sort of the dressing room at the Colbert show and sort of like, I guess what I'm saying is like the work ethic or sort of like the idea that you're going to multitask and do all these things. I was wondering as I was sort of reading these pieces, if you've always had sort of an intense work ethic or the ability to sort of like multitask, or if that's something you had to learn as you were growing up and where it even comes from. I think that's how my mind works best. We all have things that get us in our flow state. And I like to have different things going on that feed into each other, even if they're not connected on the surface They're not the most obviously connected things, but the connector is me. I'm at the center of it all. My life experiences really have made it so that I have a lot of different interests and music is just an incredible medium to have all of the different interests funnel into. What what, what do your folks do? My mother is, she's retired now, but she's, she was an environmentalist before it was in vogue to talk about climate change. Wow. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like, that was her focus. Um, mm-hmm. So just imagine, you know, my father's a musician and also a technician. So he can he can fix anything like he can take this laptop apart, put it back together, tell you how everything is made. <laughs> you know, you can take a copy machine and take a scanner and, and like build it out of parts. So he's got that kind of mind. And he's also an incredible musician who comes from a family of musicians that I'm a part of this lineage of the Baptiste family, which is kind of like one of the 10 musical dynasties of New Orleans music over the last seven generations. So you have, you got to imagine for me as a kid, seeing all of my family members and my parents and my cousins, you know, over 30 cousins. um, It it, it just was a lot for me being the youngest when I was growing up and being the quiet kid who's observing everything. Now I just kind of feel like I'm, I've synthesized all of that. Do you feel like, you know, I, my, one of my favorite podcasts outside of the basketball ones is Song Exploder. And I do, we just listened to your episode. Do you, have you listened to that pod before you did it? Yeah. I love Song Exploder, man. It's one of the best, best examples of deconstruction of music. It's so awesome. And, um, what I loved about it is, you know, hearing, um, where the song began, which is, you know, your collaborator sort of, singing something you go oh, that caught my ear because it seems like that's a big part of your job it's like what what's the thing that catches my ear and and then how do we start to grow it um you had the opportunity though to you know to go back to new orleans record the marching band you know you get your band back together and so it's not just a thing that happens in a dressing room it's it's a real live thing um do you find these opportunities to be really exciting because I'm sure there's a lot of people from your community that don't get to go fly around the world and go, I want to do this and do this and do that. Like, how do you, like, does it still feel like you're in a candy store being like, you know, I want to fuck with this idea or I want to you know, just cause you can. Cause I feel like that is freedom yeah. and it, and it just leads to more excitement and creativity in your own life. Is that kind of accurate? I am so excited by the fact that there's so many uncharted territories to explore and possibilities to make manifest 
as a musician, it's endless. And to come from such a rich life experience and to be able to bring that into the creative process, I have so many ideas and lists of things that I want to do. <laughs> and because of the, the blessings of where I've been able to get in the world at my age, I'm able to, to make calls and do things that I, I, I could never have imagined when I was growing up. Who's your favorite call? Give me, give me an example. Like who's like, uh, I'm just going to hit, I met him on the late show. I'm going to hit him up. G give me one. Wow, man. <laughs> I used to do this all the time. When I first started on the show, I would call people and just literally ask, Hey, let's, 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 let's just chat. And, um, I reached out to Will Smith once <laughs> and, um, cause you know, I grew up with huge fans of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Big Willie style, that record, if you're my age, on your mark, ready, set, let's go. Dance Yo, Pro, dance I know, you pro, know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Psycho <laughs> Rem, new joint hit, just can't yeah. sit. Gotta you get jiggy. Okay, I'll you stop. But yeah. That's it. But you know, just that, that was the kind of, you know, I just was like, hey, man, I really would just love to um, meet, chop it up. So I sat down with him, with backstage, and I just asked him, you know, What's, what's your advice? He's like, well, you see all the people around me, 20 years, 25 years, 15 years, point to all the people. He's like, um, so that was a great moment. I mean, there's so many moments like, like that. But, but musically is, is more of what I'm thinking of where it's not even someone who's so prominent. It's like, I have my high school marching band, this historically black high school marching band where there's so many legendary alumni represented for the first time on an album, represented for the first time in a music video. This is huge for the culture. I have just, for, for the people who know, this is so paramount. It, it is incredible to be able to do that and to bring these different styles of music together and these different heritages together and these ideas of, of, of things that existed a hundred years ago and then something else that existed 200 years ago and to put them together today like it, it's it's a crazy thing i get excited about the possibilities and i just go crazy and i just figure out things and that's really what excites me the most actually it's interesting because you know like there's like you know you say come from, you come from this like legacy of musicians and success is a subjective thing amongst musicians success for one person might be gigging once a week success for another person is maybe you know leading the band on a late show um for you how do you sort of uh delineate or, or or sort of view success is it like an oscar nom or is it the ability that or sort of the the things that an oscar nom would allow somebody to do with their musical ideas like max said going and recording the marching band and things like that how do you view that sort of the difference between those two things you nailed it man it's about the possibilities um the the thing about being an artist and really being an original and thinking having original thought free thought is that a lot of people think you're crazy but then when you get an oscar nom then people say oh maybe he's not crazy i remember when i was at juilliard i was really um, and it's a true story. No shade at Juilliard. I mean, my picture's in the lobby now and I, it's all cool. It's all love. But back when yeah. I was a kid and I was going to school, the first year of my, my school was tough. I would walk through the halls and play my melodica. I would do things that seemed odd for somebody coming to Juilliard. Um, so much so that they sent me to see a uh, psychiatric, get a psychiatric evaluation. 
Like they literally wow. thought I was crazy. <laughs> wow. And then the in the in the in the uh in the person who was evaluating me gave a friend, uh uh he he became my friend. He was just like, Man, this kid is a genius. And I don't like that talk either. I just kind of like I kind of like to just stay here, right in the middle, and even keel my way through it. Um, because you can't believe anything people say about you. But that's that to me was the thing that was like, oh wow, that taught me. When you think differently, it's not about how good you are. It's just that you break in the matrix. <laughs> you messing up, you messing up the flow of what people expect the thing to be. That's not I'm every guy gets nervous. Everybody gets, uh oh, what 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 that's not the way that it's supposed to go. Why are you doing that? And and the, and the recognition just helps me to be able to justify things that d- don't even need to be justified, honestly. But um, it just helps to the world to accept, oh, he just is trying to do this. Oh, well, we trust him now. Yeah, it's almost like it's like if you don't fit into these constructs, people aren't willing to go on the journey. But the minute you start to get recognized in sort of the con- the way that we sort of deem successful, then it validates your ideas to the masses. But you were on this the whole time. <laughs> right. right. And, and that's what always feels late. It, it just feels like, wow, people have to catch up because, again, I've been thinking like this since I was 16, 17, since before that, even before I was in the music. But like, just the, that's been my whole vision to do things in a way that is different and unique and authentic. Um, but, you know, it takes a minute for people to catch up. And you also have to just be consistent because if the stuff I was doing sucked, then <laughs> that, would also, that also wouldn't resonate with people. One of my favorite things is when I see a, an act, an artist, or a band perform on a late night show is see when they collaborate with with the house band you know and and obviously the roots have a history with fallon and you've done that a lot well what when it comes to memorable performances that that you've been a part of on the late show is there one that sticks out because it was like you know you're working with the artist and you're like oh god we're not getting it or oh this person is bad at communicating what he or she wants like is it well and and then yeah well what which ones sort of stick out to to you as sort of particularly memorable experiences oh my goodness um wow there are so many great ones the first that that comes to mind is when um i think this was the first actual show one of the first actual shows and within the first week um, Yo-Yo Ma comes into my dressing room and they say, we want you and Yo-Yo to do a, a, a duet of Gershwin, Rhapsody in Blue. And, um, you know, I hadn't played that before and I hadn't played in a duet version. It's an orchestral piece. So, you know, we had like 20 minutes to rehearse before playing on national television with Yo-Yo Ma. And it's the first week I'm on the job. I'm in my mid-20s. It's like, you know, this is, it's, it's a whole nother experience. I'm just figuring out... That's the other thing about the shows, you know, I, I've watched these shows and they've always been, you, you see the late night institution of, of musical directors, band leaders, and it's usually people who are seasoned or they're at the, they're retiring into the gig and it's their second or third act or uh, they stay for 30 years and it's, this is their vision of um, their, their music. And for me, it was, a, I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s. This is my first introduction to the world in a lot of ways. Um, and I've been doing stuff for the decade prior to that with my band and everything like that. And um, 
this was just that was a special thing because it it kind of shocked me into the realization. Oh, this is a whole nother vibe that we're dealing with now, Baptiste. <laughs> we 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 <laughs> know your mom today. Kendrick Lamar was on the show the day before. We didn't wow. play together, but we were hanging out. This is like pimple butterfly, Kendrick. Shit. But probably the, <laughs> the most memorable um performance, besides just that realization of what the, the gig was. Um I'd have to say it was with Mac Miller, um, mm. his last television performance. I just watched that. Yeah, yeah. With you guys. We we've worked together on the show a few times and we've gotten to really collaborate. And he was very open to what I brought to the arrangements of his music. And funny enough, it ties to the We Are album because through our collaborations with um, Anderson Park and Mac Miller, we actually did another performance on the show with Anderson Park and Mac Miller together with Stay Human. But um, through those collaborations with Mac, I met Pomo, who produced a lot of the music on the We Are album with me. Um, but it's crazy to think back on that performance because he was so jovial in the rehearsals and happy. And we were all just hanging out, goofing around. I even got a video on my phone of us goofing. Like I had like a, a, a blanket that I was using as a cape because the, the, the theater is so cold. But I was also just like jumping off the piano with the cape and he was dancing in the aisles. And it, 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 it's, it's a shock to me that that was his last performance. It's amazing. I see, you know, you mentioned the, the, the album and, and it coming out at this time. It's a unique time, obviously, sort of in history, in, in society and all that stuff. And you've had these songs for a while, you know, and, and why was right now the right time to release the album as a whole? I thought that the people in the world who needed to hear it, needed it most now. I always think about music release like that. Anybody who knows me in my process of working on things, I like to start something. I can jump into it really quickly. You know, I have several albums that I've started on hard drives from the last several years, many years. Um, and I'll leave it and I'll just kind of come back to it from time to time, but with the right time for it to come out happens, then I put it all together and build it out. So I always leave stuff, even if I get it to the point where it's 80% there, I leave the last 20% for when the world needs it most. So when I feel like it's the right time for it to be in the world. You know, you had a chance to, you know, uh, work on the soul soundtrack. Um, and, I'm, you know, thinking about Trent Reznor. Were you a fan of Nine Inch Nails before uh, before you worked with them? Definitely. Or just or more or more of his soundtrack stuff. Like, how familiar were you with his catalog? I was familiar with them just from doing a lot of shopping for CDs in in high school, and <laughs> they were huge in high school. And I mean, everybody used to call them the headbangers in my in my school, <laughs> where they were all black and the bands that they were really into were corn and nine inch nails. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because of that culture in my school, um, I, I was familiar with their music with nine inch nails. And I didn't know that they were getting into the, um, the film score world until the social network, which was, you know, something that everybody watched. I mean, everybody saw that film. But I thought that that was an interesting score. I thought it was really cool. And um, I always knew that they were legit. But working with them is just like, 
you know, it's really well, cool to see him. Well, this was my question is like, what's he like? Like, what did you learn from him and the way he thinks about music? And because, you know, if you're writing to a scene, that's a, that's a whole different skill set than writing a song that you want to say something about politics or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a little different process. Like what, what, what were the differences for you? Well, I think he's compartmentalized in a way to where when he's doing a film, he's really in the world of the film. Trent and Atticus are. They're very much not trying to bring nine inch nails into soul. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it also found him to be uh, quite a balanced person. Like he's, <laughs> he's not what you would imagine based on seeing him live. That's in there. Obviously when you see it live, it comes out and you can hear that kind of intensity in what they made for soul. But I really appreciate it when an artist can bring themselves to a project, but not bring the ego to the project to try to take over it with their personality. And that's mastery. Well, you know, okay. So, uh, John, I'm in a band too, actually. And we, uh, our pals, I, I, cause I, I happen to be friends with the dude who's the CEO of the nets. And I just texted him and he said, can you connect me? Cause I said, John Batiste, he's a nets fan. I'm talking to him right now. And he said, can you connect me? We'd love to host him at the game. So I, I'm sure you got your own ticket hookups for, for the Brooklyn Nets. But if you want to like the red carpet treatment, John will hook you up. I can see the Barclays Arena out of my window. Oh, this is perfect then. You can I don't just know walk over for the playoffs. <laughs> but yeah, I can see the Barclays Arena out my window. Okay, well, uh, Ali, uh, yeah, we're our band's called Arkells, and we're on Universal, and um, we'll I'll connect Ali. I'll get you John's information, and he'll he'll sort you out. <laughs> there you go, full circle with the NBA. There we I'm go. I'm on Nets. It, it started and ended with NBA chatter. So um, yeah, man. But, but great talking to you. We're, we're yeah. such a fan of you, and uh, congratulations on everything. Man, thank y'all so much. Much love, brothers. Awesome. Thanks right. so much for your time. Cheers. Lay it on. Bye. All right, thank you so much to John Batiste for spending some time with Max and I. It is now time for Shane's surprise, the dessert. We used to call it the dessert in the old days. I called it that last episode. Uh, what is it today, Shaney boy? Okay, I was scrambling a little bit. I won't lie. Some days they just come and some days they're harder pressed. That being said, I have more ideas and maybe you can just pick one. Okay, so apparently Bare Naked Ladies have released a song that's allegedly a certified banger. What bands would you like to see make a comeback and get huge again? That's one. <laughs> okay, that's one. <laughs> um, uh, this Alex just texted me this. There's a they just unearthed they just unearthed a whole city in Egypt that shows the daily life of ancient Egyptians. It's basically like they were. Is this what their dessert is? <laughs> <laughs> Alex sending you news links. <laughs> They just unearthed the city in Egypt. Who gives a fuck? Shane, this is not with the dessert. But Keep going. Wait, All right, go ahead. wait. Alex is in my brain. Sometimes we're on the same level. Uh, the one last week Alex came up with and everyone was like praising me and I just sat there smiling. Um, okay. So the city's been unearthed. And it, <laughs> but it's basically like they were there yesterday with very regular items that they use in everyday life lying about. 
if something happened in our society and we all disappeared from Earth tomorrow and another another civilization (laughs) found our remains in the future, what items would they be most embarrassed to have laying about and informing the future about our current society? What do you think of that one? (laughs) Okay, I've got another one. Okay, this one I came up with. Okay, so uh, there's an Amy Poehler lookalike who squirted mm. vaginal fluid at a cop. <laughs> now we're talking. This is more like a chance of right. Um, has, has anything like that ever happened to you where you've been accused of doing something, but it was really your lookalike? Mm. Well, I made a TikTok about this, this very thing. Is uh, somebody, and you helped me with the TikTok, or maybe Jillian did, but... Um, uh, basically, somebody w- uh, in the comments was like, my my friends and I used to pretend that we were the Arkells and we used to try to pick up chicks. And then I made a TikTok and the turn was that it was like a picture of One Direction wearing Arkells t-shirts, which was I thought was a kind of a funny TikTok. But uh, I don't think it did that great. But yeah. Well, yeah, the people, reaction people that we just had, yeah. <laughs> Small sample size of how it would do in the uh, greater public. <laughs> just dead silent reaction from Mike. Um, yeah, I was like, what was the name of that Bare Naked Lady song? Um, so, all right, we got to pick from the three. We can either talk about this banger of a, a BNL song, which I have not heard, didn't even know it was out. Uh, <laughs> it, Hidden city in Egypt, meaning if there was some sort of like biological weapon that wiped us all away uh, and then just our physical stuff remained, uh, our items, what we'll be embarrassed of. Or has a do- has someone ever mistaken a doppelganger for you yeah. and you've been accused of something falsely? Yeah, pick I, one. Oh, okay, I, I, for the, for the, <laughs> no, go Mike, go Mike. What am I doing? What do you want me to pick one of these three? Yeah, pick one. This is a good method, actually. Each person can pick what they want. Okay, okay. I, I am fascinated by this. Like, what what would they find? Like, what what would they make of us if future aliens came and found all of our physical stuff laying around, like the way that we lived and these TVs in our homes and like all of our devices and our like what? I don't think we'd be embarrassed of anything because I don't think anything is necessarily embarrassing when you're that far removed from a civilization. It just becomes interesting. Uh, I think embarrassment is like such, it's such a, a current temporary thing that doesn't really exist. Like, would, do we think anything's embarrassing about past civilizations or do we just find them sort of interesting or informative? I got one for, for this. So would they, they'd uncover laptops and hard drives and then they plug in the hard drive and then there'd be a hard drive and it'd be a folder that Taxes. says NFTs. No, oh. NFTs on it. And then they'll be like, what NFT? And then it'll, there'll be like a number assigned. They'd be like, $1 million? And then they'll click it and be like, this, how is this file worth $1 million? This is the fucking dumbest thing ever. What? Really? Back then they were selling files for oh, $1 million? I wouldn't care at all about that. It would be the one marked taxes do not open. The freaky porn. <laughs> yeah, the freaky porn. Kidding. Shaney, what about you? What if three did you want? Well, I it would honestly, I guess it would be, yeah, internet search history, if that could be carbon <laughs> copy. <or something. laughs> 